la música de Harry Frog. Hey, what's up? <laughs> wow, you like had to clear your throat. No, there. no, I was just, you know, trying to catch people off guard. It's Ergo. We're here. <laughs> How y'all feeling? Y'all good? I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. We're excited to be back up here on WHBK, showcasing strong young voices from Chicago and beyond. Each week, another live, long form interview with an artist, writer, organizer, person reshaping the culture of our city for the more equitable and the more creative. We have a very special guest here today um but first a couple community announcements one it's just good to be i'm announcing to the community i'm happy to be back up here after a week off well welcome back thank you um hey it's a bunch of shit going on but i don't got my phone together and there's no service in here so i forgot there was like a period of time where you didn't have a phone and then this was a very understandable thing but yes. now it's just become... no i'm just disorganized <laughs> that is that is a part of my identity a disorganized carpenter doesn't blame his tools you know hey uh, yeah, well, luckily for you, I wrote a couple down. A couple community this announcements. This is why we're a team. Uh, <laughs> the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Um, shout out to them. You got to get someone from them up here. Yes, definitely Charlotte is on the list. This evening, that's Thursday evening, they're having a uh, an event. It's the first of a series that they're doing called The Road to Abolition. Uh, it's at 637 South Dearborn. Definitely come through and support. On the 11th, Party Noir is back up at the Promontory. Um, and then next week at Build Coffee at the Experimental Station, we've plugged some of the public newsroom events in the past. They're doing a really cool one this week. Um, it's with Timuel Black, who's a, he's in his 90s. He's been an organizer and an oral Shout historian. Shout out to the 90s. Seriously. <laughs> um, he, uh, he was really close with Studs Circle, and he's doing an event uh, on the importance and the value of oral history. Uh, and that's, at, that's free at the Experimental Station on... The 15th. That's all I got. Like I said, I'm all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> There's great things happening. We all we all got we Just all get got out of your hat. It's beautiful. The internet is is accessible to us all. Also come I mean, not us all, but many of us. If you're in the Michigan <laughs> <laughs> if you're in the Michigan area next week or you want to come to the Michigan area next week, we're gonna be at Allied Media Conference doing a uh, workshop as part of the media making uh space, training space. Also like 15 Ergo alumni are doing things there. Shout out to the Party Noir folks. Uh, I know Monica Trinidad's going to be there. Whole bunch. Uh, RJ's going to be there. Miriam Cobb is going to be there. So basically, almost anyone, uh, I'd say a large portion of the people we've had on will be uh, at this incredible conference. It's only like 75 bucks to attend. Um, so if you want to take that last minute road trip, come through, say hello. All right. That's what I. Can, can we adjust? My leg is a little. Okay. All right. There we go. All right. <laughs> you comfortable? You ready to go? Let's do this. For those of you who, we mentioned this a while back, but Damon and I share a microphone up here and sometimes it gets a little cozy. It gets harder the bigger your hair gets because it's ooh. taking up more and mine's more volume. Mine's is getting a little bit <laughs> like things are starting to, it's a small it's studio. The walls are closing in on us. <laughs> so let's get to, on that note, uh, <laughs> our very special guest. Um, she's an organizer uh, in various capacities. I know her best through her work with, uh, with If Not Now, an organization I've talked about a little bit up here. Um, we're excited to have her here to share not just what is happening with If Not Now, but just in general, um, who she is, what she does. Folks, make some noise at home. Make some noise in your car. Bang on your dashboard for Rachel Lott. Bra, 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 bra. 
<laughs> How uh, we we always <laughs> like to start with a. Uh... <laughs> 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 wow wow yeah yeah man hey, don't, I, don't let me stop you i'm thrown so <laughs> I, I have to say i'm a little thrown one you growled two the guy before us shout out to uh michael flaherty yeah yeah one of New the intro music one of the otter mans i'm comfortable saying that in the world he played a different song coming out and it really threw me off so we're just off balance so we, gonna, apo- we gonna apologize have, you're gonna have to drive the ship today rachel <laughs> okay i'll try <laughs> uh we always like to start the show with the question um how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world today? Mm. The world is treating me okay. Mm. The universe has thrown me a few challenges as mm. of late. And I'm using those challenges as a place to grow. Mm. How am I treating the world? I think pretty okay. My day has been there hasn't been much day so far, but I got to spend some time out in the sunshine and walk through the park on my way to get here. And yeah, I'm ready to treat the world great today. Mm. That's like, a, I remember, it just made me think of when you said there hasn't been much day. Like the first few times that we started hanging out a lot in the city, I'd be like, so how was your morning? You're like, morning. Morning? <laughs> what is this morning? How, how dare you? <laughs> like it was a personal front yeah. ask David to get up before 10. Um like I said, I'm excited to have you here. We, we've been in space a few times now. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of I want to start with with the trip that you just got back, or at least the first part. And we can talk about the second part, if that's something that feels open to you. But you were you, you just got back a couple weeks to the States um, from a trip to Israel, Palestine with the Center for Jewish Nonviolence. Um, real quick, you want to just give a rundown of what the what the trip was. Um, and and maybe a couple of like the surprising moments from it. Yeah. The Center for Jewish Nonviolence is a really awesome organization that brings diaspora Jews, so Jews who do not live in Israel, to uh, the occupied territories or to Palestine, specifically to the West Bank, to do Palestinian solidarity work. Um, And they're dedicated to ending the occupation, to Palestinian solidarity, and to nonviolence. There was uh, people there from nine different countries, I believe, which Mm -hmm. was awesome. And it's just a different vibe to bring. Their work is really special, I guess I would say, because uh, diaspora Jews hold a lot of privilege and bring a lot of privilege uh, with them doing work um, with Palestinians in the West Bank. So what's possible is really different um, when the Center for Jewish Nonviolence every year they bring a delegation out. So a lot can be done. Mm. Um, I forgot that the last yeah, part of your well, question. We can stick on that. What When you think about what could be done and maybe do you feel like things, it sounds like you came into the trip with a whole bunch of like the potential for what could happen. What are those expectations were met? Like what, what didn't happen? What did happen? What was surprising about your time there? Totally. I went in kind of not knowing exactly what to expect. This was that there was 130 of us there this year, which was um, more than they've ever had before. So things were a little different. I really one expectation that I had, I was like, I'm going to form so many relationships with Palestinians who are fighting for their liberation on the ground. Like that was really important to me. And I did form relationships. I was like, I don't speak Arabic, so that was a little hard. <laughs> um, there are like many English speakers 
um, too. But that I just totally forgot that 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 there would be a language barrier. Like airplane Rosetta Stone Arabic studying didn't work. (laughs) I learned a few words. Um, I met a lot of cool kids. You can always connect with kids regardless of language because they just want to play and mess around. So that was fun. Um, But when we were there, we spent time in kind of smaller groups so that we could form more relationships with people. And I spent some time specifically working in East Jerusalem, which I didn't expect at all. I really thought I was going to be specifically in the West Bank. Um, For those who don't know, the... The West Bank and Gaza are under, like, military occupation. And East Jerusalem was annexed by uh, Israel in in 1967. So it's part of Jerusalem that um, is predominantly lived in and historically belongs to, I guess I would say, Palestinian folk and other Arab people. And um, it was totally annexed are taken by Israel. So the people who live in East Jerusalem who are Palestinians aren't technically citizens of Israel. They are residents of Israel, which is like a whole political thing we could talk about, but it's really messed up is uh, the least I could say about it. Um, But a lot of people who do anti-occupation work consider East Jerusalem to be occupied, even though it's under a different set of rules. The West Bank Mm -hmm. is under military rule. East Jerusalem is just under normal Israeli rule so it's a little different and I was it was really surprising to I've never been to East Jerusalem um so it was really really interesting to see how in some ways that it's really different because it's a part of Israel and in some ways it's not different at all it's just you know it's still the occupation so I want to zoom out for one sec and just say like the same way with any of the other guests that we have up here like we're not asking you to be an authority or an expert on anything um, you know, I think we, we've like talked about that a bunch. Like that's not, we, we're not like a, uh, an issue based show. It's about the people who are doing the various kinds of work to reshape our culture. So, I, I mean, that's kind of the capacity that, so I just, I want to kind of say that explicitly because I don't want you to ask feel... a big question. Is what <laughs> this is. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not actually, an expert. there are like the big questions and I'm going to choose not to, and I'm going to, I want to ask you like more about the the personal of being there had you been uh as an american had you been to israel before so, yeah so i have um i'd been to israel twice before once on a birthright trip um i was very confused i grew up in a really zionist suburb of detroit so uh and for those who don't know all about the jewish jargon that i'm uh saying zionist as in like being pro pro israel like jews have a right to the land of israel um and i grew up with in like a very one-sided community that uh wasn't very spiritual wasn't very religious but the the way that people identified with judaism was by supporting israel Mm. um no matter what and so then I went to college and I got, you know, politicized and radicalized. And but I was still confused about Israel because it was such a I do such a shift in my brain. I had so much cognitive dissonance around mm-hmm. uh, the state of Israel. And so I went on birthright being like, OK, I'll check it out. And it was a really weird experience. I was like, this is a we- they just send you on a free trip for 10 days to Israel and they like tour you around and show you all the best and coolest parts of the state of Israel. And then they're like, when are you coming back? Are you going to move here? And it's just like, I was really shaken up by it. So came they're also to- like 
also will you have 15 Israeli babies, please? Yeah. And, and they bring like, soldiers on your trip. They're like, have children yeah. now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> they, br- they bring <laughs> soldiers and they're like, really cool. I mean, it seems I, militarization is gross, but like, uh, they look hot, you know, they're like attractive Israeli soldiers, men and women and all the people. They join you on the trip, like seven or eight of them, like with your bus of American or Canadian, Australian, whatever kids, essentially. And they like want you to procreate like it is very intentional. They're like, marry one of these soldiers, have babies like Jewish continuity. So that was confusing and weird. And I really didn't like it. But I was like, wow. It's much different from uh, church trips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely uh, it was a weird. They're like, please do not make room for Jesus. <laughs> like, get that space get, out of get here. Get Jesus out the way. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Uh... That's actually in, uh, it's in the Old Testament. <laughs> we went back and did a couple revisions. Um, but yeah, so yeah. you were on this trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I came back feeling really funky about it. I was like, wow. On one hand... I've never been in a place that was majority Jewish. And it kind of felt nice in so many ways. Like, I get how birthright is, like, um, it's very sneaky because I was like, wow, this is really beautiful. Like, everybody celebrates Shabbat on Friday. Not everybody, but, like, the city shuts down on Saturday and Friday night when Shabbat is happening. And, uh, like, life stops for Jewish holidays. And it was just, like really cool i was like whoa this place is like for me and my culture and like what my family celebrates and i've never experienced that but also i was like this was really weird i feel like they're trying to sell me israel they're trying to make me have jewish babies they're really not talking about politics when this is like a highly political contentious space we're in so i came back just with like a lot of questions and a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth even though i was like there was a little bit of appeal so Mm -hmm kind of just pushed it down, ignored it for a little bit. And then it came time to write my senior thesis in college. And I was like, I think I want to write about that Israel thing and like that brainwashing thing that happened on birthright. Um, The sneaky kind of politics that are going on there. So I didn't, I went back to Israel, not with a birthright trip, but on a teen trip that was run through the Detroit Jewish Federation. Um, Kind of, I wasn't, it was bad research. I wasn't doing, I call it light research. I was a, participant observing um look we're in chicago we're not scout like you don't have to forget forget the object i was whatever you know i went and i was supposed to be doing research but really i couldn't pay for myself to be on this trip so i was a staff member i snuck my way into like being a camp counselor basically for these kids (laughs) and they uh it was in 2014 um and basically we were, were supposed to be there for a month and we ended up only being there for 10 days because right when we had arrived was the beginning of the 2014 Gaza war or there was like a burst of violence that happened between Gaza and Israel. And we left early and the way that my community handled that situation was really horrifying to me. The way that the children I were with or the teenagers, the young adults, whatever, I was with the way that the rabbis and the leaders and the staff were talking to them and hiding things from them Mm. and misinforming them was really disgusting to me. And I felt. What did that look like? um, I tell a little little story. We got time. Okay. So. Where is that? That's what we do. (laughs) Basically, this violence was escalating. And I was told as a staff member, they're like, don't talk about it with the kids. They 
they don't need to know about anything. They just, we want them to love Israel. So like, we don't want them to be scared essentially was the message. So like Mm -hmm. I was told not to say anything. They just be like, don't worry, we're going to have fun. We're going on a hike today. Like we're going to go see this cool thing. And eventually like it became so violent that we couldn't ignore it. Like we were hearing things explode in the middle of the night. We were like uh, having, being shuffled into bomb shelters in the middle of the night. Um, And the kids were scared. And I was like, it is so not right to just um, to be silent about what's going on right now. Um, but I felt really alone. Like everybody else was just like, okay, I'm going to follow the rules. I'm not going to say anything. Um, and eventually it became so violent that uh, a rabbi kind of who was leading my group uh, gathered all the staff together and was like, hey, things are getting pretty bad. And so if they don't call a ceasefire in the next 48 hours, we're going to have to leave Israel and go back to Detroit. And even though I felt super alone and I felt um, really disgusted and ashamed and like really sad about the way we were educating these teenagers, I like had some hope. I was like, this is a really, this is a moment. This could like shape these kids. So I said to the rabbi, I was like, rabbi, I really hope that we can stay. I hope that they they call a ceasefire because I think this is a really critical learning opportunity for these teenagers. And he looked me straight in the eye and he said, Rachel, honestly, I hope they don't call a ceasefire so we can blow the Palestinians to hell. And I was just like, oh, thanks, Rabbi. Floored. I was like, how can a rabbi, like a person who's supposed to be a spiritual leader, a moral leader in my community, say something that's so blatantly disregarded human life. We also don't have hell. There is no, like, so I don't know what he's... (laughs) Where's this guy coming from? Yeah, (laughs) what a doof. Want to tug on the beard, make sure it's real, you know? So then I was like, cool, if this is what being Jewish is, I don't want to be Jewish. And I had, like, a little bit of identity crisis, Mm -hmm. but I went home and I was like, I'm not a part of this community anymore. And I really... Um, moving to Chicago and actually finding other progressive Jews who live up to like the spirit of actual Jewish values that do care about all humans and our neighbors and justice. Uh, I didn't have that in Detroit. So moving to Chicago, is my first kind of access point to that. Mm -hmm. And then, so now I'm back to, I'm like, okay, I'm Jewish. But I had a moment where I was like, I don't want to be Jewish if this is what Jewish means. So I I have two yeah. lines of questions I want to add, but I, I think the one that's most closely related to, to where we're at in that story um, for both of y'all is I've, I've been trying to like have a deeper understanding of Zionism. Um, and for you guys, do you, in your understanding, um, is there a distinction between Judaism and Zionism? Right. Because um, I think sometimes they get conflated in, in a way that I think it is right. So you, when you, when what I heard was that you experienced Zionism and said, I am, I want to discard my entire Judaic Jewish identity. Totally. Um, and so just like, I guess, define your understanding of what, what Zionism is totally. kind of from those experiences. And I think like where the moment I had where I'm like, if this is Judaism, I'm not Jewish is I had no understanding that they are different. Judaism is a religion. It's a long, uh, like it's been in history for a long time. It's old religion. Um that has many beautiful parts and some not so beautiful parts. Obviously it's old. Um, and Zionism is a political ideology. It's that, uh, that basically pushes that Jews have 
a right to the the state of Israel. And it's it's purely political. And the way I grew up um, masked that and was told me that Judaism is Zionism. Zionism is Judaism. And that's kind of the narrative that gets pushed out in the Jewish mainstream all the time. And it is really confusing um, and complicated. And no one wants to be. Uh, 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 all right. I won't say no. So the, to answer your question, I mean, and I had kind of a different, this kind of illustrates that those two things are not the same because I had a very different relationship to it growing up in my Jew, in my Jewishness. We like, my family did not talk about it. We were not pro anything. Uh, and my Jewish community, my congregation made the decision that we were just going to not talk about it because we didn't want to, we wanted to illustrate that it was possible to separate the political from the, from the religious. I, so it didn't, those two things weren't linked in my mind. And then I realized it's in the last few years that like, whether or not I made that link for myself, the world was going to make that link. And I felt manipulated in that. So that part of what I had to do was recognize that that was happening and figure out how to like kind of pull those things apart. Um, So, yeah, I think like that, that it especially like maybe especially in this country, but maybe in other places too, like that, that conflation is kind of what I'd say a lot of the work that we're doing is fighting against. Right. Is this in full disclosure, I'm part of it. not not right. So mm-hmm. the part of what it's fighting about is saying we can, we get to define our Jewishness ourselves. You don't get to define that for us, for your political gain. Does that seem totally? Accurate? Yeah. I think, we're just, I think, trying to, like, break the mainstream narrative. And to, to be clear, there are many kinds of Zionists that we have Zionists in, if not now, that um, I personally and myself am not a Zionist. But we're a broad broad movement of Wait, Jews. Explain, explain that to me because my understanding of not now is that it was more or less an anti-Zionist formation. So this is That's about to get real common misconception. Let's, let's, um, let's get into this. If not now is a movement of young American Jews trying to end our community support for the occupation. So some some people, how they interpret that is they're like, we could totally have a two-state solution. I really believe in the state of Israel, but I think that the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem should have uh, the people there should have self-determination, right? So two states, which includes there being a Jewish state of Israel and then a Palestinian state, right? So that some, some people are Zionists and they're like, I, I don't believe in the occupation, but I'd I do believe in there being a Jewish state. Um, A lot of people are confused. (laughs) They're like, I don't know. This is a really complicated issue. That's okay. You don't have to know all the answers to fight for what's right and what's just. Um, And then some people, you know, believe in no borders, no walls. It's all, you know, be free. (laughs) Um, And there's a a middle one in between the third and the fourth, right? Which is a like accounting for for a historical practice and trying to address it in a way that is um, like responsive and, and just. So rather than saying like, there should be no borders, there's no walls it's saying, let's look at what has been done and let's look at the relationship to power. Um, so this is, I, this is like where I, and again, like I'm newer to this work than you are Rachel and, and, and to having these conversations. But for me, the whole point is to try to approach it the way I would approach any other um case of of colonialism of like let's understand the way that this has worked let's understand how the violence is being perpetuated and you know let's 
figure out how we can reallocate support and resources to help those most personally affected work toward their liberation. That's the way I, that's like what I find a lot. And this is why it's so tricky to talk about this in a lot of cases for Jewish folks is that the moment folks can't look at this the same as the other, um, like another instance where if you substituted the names and you substituted the peoples, they would, it, it would be no question, but because things are so emotionally wrapped up, uh, folks can't treat this the same as they would. And so that's, I think some of the, like, what's so tricky about specifically in the United States, how this works, right. Is, you know, you get folks who toe the liberal line um, and this is the thing that they can't face. And this is the the tension. Um, so I'm wondering if maybe you could speak to that a little bit, like what basically like, not just what the goal is, but like, I like can't deal with when people are hypocrites about stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, we say like everyone's projecting all the time. That's me projecting onto mm-hmm. other folks that I don't want to be a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. But for you, like, is that a driving force as you see folks like saying one thing about the world and then being like, but except for this thing that personally I'm benefiting from, or I think I'm benefiting from. Totally. I think, I don't know if it drives me, but it's definitely a part of what we're doing. Part of the way our movement works is we're trying to polarize the community are you on the side of freedom and dignity for all or are you not? Basically, is our, it's really uh, hard to choose, right? Um, uh, but there's... <laughs> um, well, it is. it doesn't sound when you frame it that way, but like, there's a lot of times where folks are like, you know, I'm on the side of freedom and dignity for, for me. me. Yeah. yeah, no, seriously. That and is very real. I think that's like a re- like not and we, a good answer, but that's a reasonable... That's an answer that people will continue to give you. And that's the way we, why the framing of the question is so important because it forces people to say that. Mm-hmm. Like we're like, answer the question, you know? And sometimes people say I'm in, for freedom and dignity for me, which is very telling, right? Or but my we, tribe, my people. We yeah. saw with the, uh, with the election, that I mean, with Trump in office that um, we actually were able to, to catch a lot of people in their hypocrisy mm. and that. Um, a lot of, you know, Trump was the pro-Israel candidate and there are, you know, Jews are like a, in the United States are a really big, um, political force, usually in the democratic party arena, the very like Hillary Mm Clinton-esque, um, arena. Um, and people had to confront that, like this pro-Israel right wing, white supremacist attitude that Trump is pushing into the American consciousness or elevating in the American consciousness um, is the same right-wing, white supremacist, radical bullshit, to be frank, that is being pushed in Israel and that drives the occupation. And people had to confront that and we... um, People had to deal with that, and I think it was really hard for people, but we we had a community ready to catch them when they were like, I'm grappling with this thing. Good for enrollment. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We blew up, and we were – I mean, we're not that big stuff, but it was a moment of of a lot of people coming to us for the answer. Like, I don't know a lot about Israel. I've I've been ignoring it. It's too complex. I grew up, and I only knew this one narrative. Um, I'm really interested in exploring. Like, I actually – I'm realizing that, like, if Israel – is like supporting Trump and Netanyahu is supporting Trump that like, I'm actually 
I think I was misinformed or I think I don't know the whole story. So we invited people in. We said, you want to learn? Uh, you want to fight the occupation? You want to question what you've been told? Like, welcome. Like, we're a joyous, diverse, loving Jewish community and we're ready to talk. So yeah. I'm going uh, to just push a. I'm going to get into a point, but I'm just going to push against the use of radical. I would say extreme. Like we, we're very big about like reclaiming radical okay, as, cool, as getting yeah. to the root. And, and sometimes when, it, yeah, I would say it's extreme more than radical. But into I think, it. yeah, I Thanks think that was that. A, a very, a very mm-hmm. interesting point um, because like in our current geopolitical, especially domestic climate, and that's really what I, my other thought, I kind of want to bring it home a little bit um, is that I'm imagining, yeah, that has to be a wake up call. Um, if, our domestic white supremacist, pretty, not pseudo, pretty like overtly fascist, um, leaning towards Nazism uh, is also in support of the Jewish state. Just like, what what are the conversations or what are, how are you just internally mm. being on the forefront of like addressing that contradiction? And then what that then says about Zionism and kind of some of its roots from my understanding, or at least its 20th century roots from my understanding. Yeah, I mean... I think the biggest thing that I found that I think a lot of other people feel is like it's an it's a more acute manipulate you feel manipulated right because his big claim for saying he's not a Nazi is that he has a Jewish son and he supports Israel son-in-law so oh. Kushner is Jewish and Ivanka oh, no. is, yeah <laughs> and Ivanka is like a like Orthodox neo like neo Orthodox Jew. It's some wild dinner table yeah. conversation <laughs> in the Trump house. Like, yeah, <laughs> oh, no. but. Like that's his, he can go like, I'm not, it's basically his equivalent of like, I have a black friend, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which he also plays that card. (laughs) Shout out to, anti-shout down to Ben Carson. Yeah, anti-shout out to Ben Carson. And what's the other dude, the nigga? But but the dude, um, David Clark, the one, the 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 cowboy sheriff. sheriff? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck him. Um, (laughs) But but basically he, uh, like that's his, so basically what I kept feeling was like, I don't want to be his excuse for why. So if the whole idea is that we can make that claim invalid and by saying, Oh, we don't want that. (laughs) We're not asking, you're not doing this in our name. Then they have to, then that, um, like that claim gets erased. Basically. That's kind of the hope. I think that's for me where, where it is. How about for you? Yeah, I think we're like, I would love to bring it. CJNV or the Center for Jewish Nonviolence trip that I was just on, the whole kind of uh, tagline this year and maybe every year, I'm not sure, is occupation is not our Judaism. It's like kind of taking like what you're saying, not letting the people speak in our name. Like people like to paint the Jewish people, especially American Jewish people, as a monolith. So like Trump's saying like, yeah, I got I have one. Jewish dude or two, whatever, and my converted daughter. Uh, so, like, yeah, I'm cool with Jews, as if all Jews were the same thing and believed the same thing. Does and this sound kind of like a familiar that. tactic yeah. to you, David? Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, so that's exactly it. We're trying to um, break that narrative or show that the Jewish Jewish community is really diverse. I want to ask one question more about the trip before we move on yeah. to, to other stuff. So. I had the opportunity, I applied for it and I was waitlisted and then got it and decided not to go um, for a whole bunch of reasons. But most, one of them related specifically to the question you just asked, which was like, I didn't know. And, you know, I'm pretty, a little weird about saying this, but like, I didn't know 
I didn't want to be on all of the all of the watch lists, right? Like this was the you know three months after the inauguration, and I didn't want to bring those eyes back to the work I was doing here. Though I talk on the radio, so that kind of counteracts that. <laughs> those but, are ears, though. True. Yeah, <laughs> they don't know what I look like in these streets. But that was that was part of it. Was you know just not knowing in this political moment. Did it make you want to go on this trip more, or did it give you some like misgivings, knowing that like the where the center was and where the boot was coming down was going to change in relation and is changing in relation to American relationship uh, to this work. I don't know if I'm quite following your question. So basically like did the fact that like we now have a, someone pursuing fascism in the white house make you want to go on this trip more or make you more apprehensive about being part of this Um... or neither. Yeah, I think it's hard to, like, now articulate, like, the Trump moment because we're, like, swimming in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it definitely is a motivating factor for me wanting to go. Honestly, like, when I was there and uh, we were doing direct action and I had to be, like, face-to-face, like, I could feel the breath of, like, Israeli military on my face, like – I was like, this is what, like, an authoritarian fascist regime looks like. And, like, are we that far away in right. the United States? So it was very much like... And they don't have any mints either. The breath is terrible. Yes. <laughs> awful. Desert dust. Um, <laughs> yeah. Dry No. So it, I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a whole different part of the world. Different politics going on. I'm not going to say, like, that's exactly what's ha- going to happen yeah. in the United States. It's not. But... Um, it was really amazing to meet Israelis and Palestinians both who are fighting mm. the status quo in Israel and fighting the occupation and fighting the authoritarian, you know, powers that be in Israel and how there's so much more that they have to consider and put up with. And it really just like got me into a headspace that I was like, you know what, things could get a lot worse in mm. the United States, but we can still like we still have the power like these people despite all of these roadblocks that are put up despite like um like their privacy being breached and like there's so much security and people listening in your phone calls and um it's like really hard to like plan anything there because you have to like take all the phones out of the room and close all the doors and you know someone's still probably listening um even though there's that uh that much surveillance they're still fighting and and going so it gave me a lot of hope actually being there that like it can still be done so go ahead i was gonna say and then coming back you know this week or so uh did it shift the experiences of the trip did it shift any of how you're viewing the city here Mm, that's a really good question i haven't had so much time to process um, and I actually was in Detroit before I came back to Chicago. Yeah. Um, so I'm just back this week and it just, uh, it actually made me think a lot about all justice work in Chicago that I know about, I'm involved in, I have friends who do it, whatever. Um, just about how people, there, I've been, thinking a lot about how people perform wokeness Mm -hmm. um, or how they know. And specifically within the anti-occupation context, people say things like, we really need to have accountability to Palestinians. And that keeps them from doing work 
mm-hmm. because they're like, I'm not sure if we're using the right words. I'm not sure if we're doing the right thing. We really needed to just like be accountable to our Palestinian partners. And what I realized when I was in uh, Palestine is that people have they don't have they don't know Palestinians. They don't they're really misinformed or uninformed about the work that's going on, and they. They're in action because they're like not sure if they're using the right word or if they're being super politically correct. They're not the ones who uh, like are going to be harmed because of their inaction. Actually, it's just Palestinian people who are living in the occupied territories, right. living in the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem, who are harmed mm-hmm. by people getting caught up in political correctness. So I've been thinking about this a lot because I um, I saw people get harmed and. In really real ways when I was there. And I was like, I can't believe people are getting stuck in being the most woke, are performing their wokeness. They can't act because when we don't act, it's no big deal for us, like for the most part. And uh, I've been thinking about this in all sorts of contexts, just seeing social media and activist spaces and organizing spaces and communities that I'm a part of that like it's really getting to me lately that I cannot deal with this like performativity of being woke or the most politically correct because like that is just not getting us yeah, anywhere. It's just corny. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, th- I think I want to uh, follow up on Kiss's question because this has been uh, kind of even outside of this space and this, this specific conversation, um, something I'm trying to be able to articulate more uh, as I'm seeing this uh, very important push from the American, mostly young Jewish community starting to address and have this dialogue about Palestine. Uh, but I guess my push or my, I was talking to Helen about this too, you know, Helen, Helen, Helen. You know, shout out Helen. to Helen. Shout, shout out, Helen. yeah, that's the homie. I'm not uh, editing out that H yeah. though. Sometimes gotta, I do it. Like, yeah. I do that every time. I'm sorry, Helen. Um, <laughs> At least you didn't say Helen. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, it, there's, a, there's a loving challenge because some of the, the framework feels very much externalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I'm just curious how that conversation um, is starting to affect the relationship to home, meaning here in the United States, right? So, um, you know, I think kids did a good job of pointing out just like the structural parallels of authority and, you know, colonial domination and, and oppression um uh, but even like on a more like concrete level yeah. right like you know I, i've been face to face with chicago police officers that were trained by the israeli army i've i've had friends from ferguson send me pictures of like tear gas canisters that have like israeli writing on and then even beyond like the direct physical um the direct like like physical militarization right but on the the like the political economy right like as it was articulated in this conversation that like Zionism has kind of s- consumed the, the American political Jewish community. Mm-hmm. Um, wh- where is the conversation or is, is there a conversation starting to have in terms of anti-blackness or white supremacy um, in the American context, specifically, like if we want to just talk about the democratic party, like it's very, it's very easy to go like to the Trump supporter as this idea of uh, per, you know, you know, expanding these these policies abroad. Uh, but where is like the, where are you with the intersection of how specifically anti-Blackness, but all white supremacy uh, mm. in America is operating directly in relationship to Zionism and how Zionism has been an, an active participant um, in, in, in local communities? Totally. Wow, that is a great question. I think the thing that comes up for me the most when I'm thinking about like Zionism and anti-blackness and uh, 
all, you know, lots of intersection of different kinds of oppression is that Zionism paints this monolithic view of the Jewish experience of like Jews lived in Eastern Europe. They went through the Holocaust. Some moved all over the world. They're considered white. Uh, some moved to Israel. That's why we have to defend Israel at all costs because like there might be another genocide. Um, and like actually Jewish people are extremely diverse. Um, like those Jews who are living in Eastern Europe who largely uh, are – they weren't the only people affected by the Holocaust or discriminated against. But they're, they're largely considered white now and they're called Ashkenazi Jews or whatever. But there's also Jews who were in Spain and Greece, um, Sephardi Jews and Mizrahi Jews who were um, in parts of Africa and, uh, you know, the Arab world. Um, and the Zionism that tells – the world that Jews, Jews are Holocaust Jews. Like we're all living in Eastern Europe and then we moved to Israel and the United States or wherever. And we're all white now. And, uh, you know, the Zionist narrative erases the fact that we Jews, like the coolest part about Judaism to me is that like the diaspora part that we have thrived and existed in so many different parts of the world and developed so many different kinds of cultures. There are black Jews, there's Arab Jews, there's, you know, all different literally everywhere literally there's indian jews they're everywhere and uh this like zionism erases that diversity and it has actually um through if not now i've i've i grew up in a really monolithic jewish community that mm. was working to erase like diverse jewish identity and i've met like jews of color and um, Mizrahi Jews and Sephardi Jews and all different sorts of Jews through the If Not Now community who have told me how hard it has been to grow up in the United States where this monolith is being painted and their identities being erased. And like when things like the Black Lives Matter platform came out and the, the large Jewish community was like, it said something about genocide and something about apartheid and something about Israel, like literally three or four words. Um, in the whole thing. <laughs> in the whole platform, we are no longer supporting Black Lives Matter. Like the the Jewish community, our institutions aren't supporting it. Um, and if not now, and other progressive groups were like, yo, there are black Jews. Like we need to stand with Black Lives Matter. This is our community in a way. Like this is a part of our community. We're not just like uh, – like so many other identities within the Jewish community get erased and pushed out. And I think that um, that's something I didn't know about growing up, you know, and mm -hmm. that there was diverse Jewish community and something that's really important and something that's really important to our movement. It's that, yeah, we're working to end the occupation, but also we're like working to end this monolithic idea of the Jewish people because our own people queer Jews, black Jews, Arab Jews are getting erased in the process of upholding the occupation. And that's yeah. sucks. Yeah, no, I think it's harmful. That, yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And to add another layer layer to it, it's not just the the ways that the states propped up, but it's also the and we've talked about this a little bit. It's the compromise uh, that I think like as a as a as a group Jews made in the mid 20th century to be enfranchised, right? So like the compromise of saying we'll participate in the enfranchisement and privileges and be the subjugators of the violence of being white <laughs> um whilst uh the that choice um is one that comes from a desire to like have like 
I understand we're all this is a, this has been a new thing for me in all these conversations. I'm gonna zoom back a sec. Like for the first time, I understand like on an emotional level, like why someone would want their own space to feel safe. I think like anyone who has been pursued and has been uh has felt like they don't have a space to feel safe would desire that, right? So when it can live in the theory and when it can live in this big idea, it's a hard thing to get someone to to say this like deep desire to have a place to feel safe uh you have to you, we're asking you to give that up more helpful is something that you said to me which is that the idea of like safety is an illusion it's, it's can more, you talk about like what so, you mean yeah safety yeah. is also violent right like mm-hmm. and, and 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 it and it clicked for me twice like definitely in re- relation to police and so one um, the, the reason when I, I realized we are never safe, just like that is not a, a reality of human or any lived existence, um, was when we were, you know, protesting Laquan and like surrounded by the Chicago Police Department. Uh, but also the fact that the Chicago Police Department headquarters is called Public Safety Headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. So you get you get the, the gated community idea, you get the, the suburb, uh, all of this, you get the, the defense spending all in the name of safety. And really what it means is violence and having a privileged group of people or having the privilege of of having harm reduced or removed or risk being redistributed, right? Because there is no such thing as safety, right? Like an asteroid can come down, we could die in our sleep, right? So this fear of death, this fear of harm, and then organizing and using power and resources and violence as a way to um, put those risks on disadvantaged communities right. and population is what we say when we say safe, right? Like you get the the typical like news right. report of like, oh, this wasn't supposed to happen here. This is a safe community. And that community was built through policy, through economic um, actions, and through literal physical militarized violence, and from taking land and, and, and taking people's individual and communal sovereignty. Um, and so, like, when, when I hear you say the idea of we need a place to feel safe, um, what about the people that, like, no group right. in human history has ever had safety, right? right. And so it is a but privilege. It's a powerful idea to search, I'm not as a counteract, and I can understand where that desire comes from when yeah. you have had no, you know. Of course, nobody wants to be harmed and, and everybody wants to, to heal from trauma and violence, right? But like the instituting of a place where we don't have to be harmed or we can have this to ourselves or we then own this, right, usually means hurting or taking away or exploiting other people, right? So whether whether it is the Israel-Palestine line or the line between Naperville and the West Side, right? Like like it, it's the, it's the same dynamics um and in and and, the, and usually one group's safety exasperates the harm and the violence mm-hmm. of of another group um so yeah that's just the, the my theory on no that. that makes sense so i want to ask so don't ever say you want to be safe like you can protect yourself that is something that's tangible like you can lock a door but you can't stop harm from happening totally safety is not objective it's always like safety for who yeah. safety from what yeah. like yeah. there it's not an objective idea yeah and i think in this context of some of that desire comes from like if we have some safety then we can like figure out how to heal which again like that doesn't work but i understand that need so i want to ask you whether it's in this context or more personally and as much or as little as you want to talk about like what are you thinking about healing meaning for you these days Mm. that's a great question It's like a little bit of a hard question. Yeah. Healing, I think. And it's okay. Again, you don't have to be yeah, the expert on this one. Totally. Either. Definitely not an expert. I'm always, we're always in the process of healing in some way, huh? Um, yeah, I think for me, it's been 
a lot of engaging with with challenges I think like for me when I was like you know this is what Jewish is I'm not being Jewish I totally like abandoned my identity and my community and that was extremely painful but then I closed the book and I um I moved to Chicago and it's been really painful to engage in this work and also extremely healing um to engage in this work um to know that like um to like have a new understanding of like how anti-Jewishness or anti-Semitism works and know that like I have experienced oppression in weird ways that are really different from other people as a Jew and that I'm allowed to own that has been like a really hard thing to Mm -hmm. to challenge what I knew and how oppression works and how the world works and to really like dig deep and uh know that that like there are many truths at play, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and like to get in really long fights with my grandmother, who is like my favorite person in the world, mm-hmm. um, where she's like, you don't understand how I grew up and how my family, like like I barely escaped Eastern Europe. Their villages were getting lit on fire. And every day I walked to school, I got beat up. And she was like, you, you have no idea what Jewish trauma is. Um, and for me to be like, I don't know firsthand and I'm really trying to hear you grandma, but like I, and I love you and I hear you and that was wrong, but it doesn't make the occupation right. Um, and having those conversations and not being heard sometimes, or like Mm -hmm. trying to hear my grandma really painful, but really like allowing me to access like a more true self, I think has been part of the way I've, um, been healing. But it's, for me, it's like, you got to jump into the into the fire I don't know that's not a good metaphor you just got for me it's like it's like letting myself be vulnerable and letting myself uh like kind of push into those challenging spaces um because I don't I don't think I mean there's many different things in life we can heal from but to me it all it always takes a little a little strength to even go there to the place that feels most vulnerable or feels hurt or yeah. feels harmed. Yeah. I think I'm finding, and I don't know if this is true for you, Dame, but like I'm finally starting to take the like ideas and ways of being that I've learned through like quote formal organizing work and have those be informing like my personal relationships, whether that's family, whether that's like romantic relationships, whatever, like finally like learning <laughs> those lessons and finding some things that like work to create like some spaces to be vulnerable and to be not safe um but like present and and try to figure out what it means to heal i don't know does that like does does it feel like those things are coming together for you i mean yeah absolutely i mean coming together nothing ever comes together (laughs) but uh (laughs) but yeah no i mean you mean like you having community announcements right you know i mean i mean you know it, it the the relationship between external and internal and the structural and the individual it, it it is it is perpetual right so you know the organizing is very much external very much structural um, and there's going to be limits to it um, if your internal and your individual is not in a a, a a proper or or healthy or harmonious relationship with it so yeah like realizing that 
trying to organize people uh, and I don't and I have my own schedule together. Right. So to put agenda together for, for 30 people uh, when I have not scheduled my day right is a contradiction that that will will greatly limit not only the work, but then my own well-being. Right. Or trying to build relationships or talk about family and healing and community and having space for dialogue when sometimes it's hard to have, you know, a substantive conversation with my own mother. Right. Like the the contradiction of it is is much more stark. Um, and the, the, in, addressing it with intentionality is, is coming out. Right. So like it's taken a year or two to kind of like see it or be able to name it. And definitely the work, um, has given me more language and more framework. Uh, but it's just, it's just getting to the point of, of it being, uh, observable. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, no wonder I've been tweaking this. Cause like, I didn't, I didn't schedule this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. In order to get people to show up, you have to schedule it. In order for myself to show up for myself, I have to schedule it. Yeah. Uh, and so that's just like one example that, that definitely is spilling over. So I want to take it to some of the framework for the If Not Now stuff before we get out of here. How are you feeling? Or are you feeling as you've now been there and are back, um, like the, the framework that has been created there that we are participating in, does it feel limiting? Does it still feel exciting? Is it frustrating? Is it all of the above? I think something I learned when I was there is that a huge part of the work of the Center for Jewish Nonviolence, for our partner organizations, um, Palestinian organizations and Israeli organizations working is that they're like, you need to come back to Palestine and to the West Bank. You need to bring people here. You need to share our stories because largely like we get blocked out of the media um, and like people just don't know what's going on. And um, of course, when I was there, I was like, I need to stay. They need that, you know, the movement in Israel with like, Israelis and, and Jewish Israelis um, fighting to end the occupation is very small. Um, and I was like, I need to stay. They need more of us. And I um, was told many times I had that inclination and then told many times that it's like, actually, there's a huge work to be done in the diaspora communities, especially in the American Jewish community to end support. There's so much money well, that comes from the Jewish from, community, yeah. from the, the American government, from, you know, uh, lobbying and all these things, military and you you have more power there than you do here. Like Israelis don't – you are not an Israeli. So like you don't actually have – no one cares about what your opinion is here that much. They're like you're a privileged American Jew. You don't know what it's like. And they're like you don't need to stay here. Like it's good that you're here. Please come back. Please like keep joining us and and fighting for liberation and bring people with you and tell our stories. But you need to go back and you need to end Jewish-American support for the occupation. Um, so part of me is like – I do feel responsibility and the importance of returning um, again to the to the West Bank and to East Jerusalem and uh, to do the work there. But I I feel more grounded than ever mm. than I do in my work here because there is a lot of work to be done. Mm. Word. So I think on that note, we should go to a very important game, um, which I mentioned to you before. I think this is. It, you know, you want to take the reins out of this? No, I'm, I think You're this is your back. your domain. <laughs> so yes, this is the most important work that we do here. So <laughs> we've we've talked about uh, 
global oppressive systems, but let's get to let's get to the nitty gritty. Um, so we talked about accountability, which is you know a core tenet of not only Ergo but but the general community we participate in. Uh, and so there's one sect of the world that I feel has run amok, and 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 the time has come as long as I have breath in my body <laughs> <laughs> to hold them accountable. And that group is R and B singers. So every week we uh, we try our best to have each guest start beef with an R and B singer. And then tell us why. So this is between the, any era of R and B from from Motown on down. Uh, who you got beef with? Yeah, I told I mentioned to Daniel earlier that I'm not, you know, I'm not the most um, musically or pop culturally. You're not R and B versed? Does that? What you're I mean, I really enjoy R and B, but I'm like so not up to date. You said R Kelly, and I cannot get that out of my head. But I'm really struggling. We no longer accept that answer. No, it's too it's, it's too easy. That's why, that's why the game exists. Um, Though I will say, on last week's the one that I recorded when I was home, uh, I thought that my friends around did something really important. Which he said, it's not just that he's taking. R- he wants to be to R Kelly as Hannibal Burris was to Bill Cosby. Ah. Like he wants to be. I, I accepted that answer. Yeah. I feel like people have beat him to that, though. But he's still out here cooking. Yeah, he is still cooking. Who is this? Uh, R. Kelly. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Hey, we, we can explain. That's, but I want to make sure we get to <laughs> You're not off the hook. I'm really struggling. We can expand it. Let's say we can expand it to another genre. Let's say, who are you? Uh, we got to have some beef, though. Some sort of singer. Or <laughs> you were talking about podcasts before. You want to start True. beef with an NPR podcast? Ooh. Ooh, getting, getting so, wow, we're getting really wide. Right? Any singer, any just pop culture. We just podcast. need some beef. <laughs> we need the beef. This is the beef. beef. Last, I need okay, beef. I don't. Maybe the, I'm really nervous to say what I'm going to say because I don't. Uh, like I said, I'm not very well informed. Well, you're, you're okay. But I'm it's really a, not into Drake. I don't know if this is like a popular. That is you certainly a safe space. You just made a new friend. <laughs> oh, great! Wow, I like and just like there's so much hype around Drake, and I'm like. I just find it. I get it. It's like catchy pop music, um, but it's not doing it for you. But no, and I'm not into the vocals. The whole like Drake sound, just not into in general. I used to watch Degrassi back in the day. I'm down with that Drake, who is like starring on Canadian Degrassi mm-hmm. when I was like 12. Maybe I don't really know. To be Drake, then you'd have to be Drake now. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, we're about to get out of here. Where can folks? Uh, Find out more about, if not now, where can they hit you with the young Twitter follow, all those types of things. Yeah, um, you can check us out and get connected to all our social media through our website, which is ifnotnowmovement.org. And how about you personally, if they like your thoughts, which I think they will. Um, You can follow me on Facebook, Rachel Leiter. I sometimes tweet, uh, but not really. Mm. I have an Instagram you should just follow if not on movement.org. That's my thoughts go through that uh go through that social media. Makes sense. You should follow us as well at yeah. Ergo Radio. Yeah. I'm uh, at Ergo Daniel. I'm Damon underscore AF. And uh Yeah, we yeah, have yeah, nine yeah. seconds yeah. left. We're, I we're. think that's it. That's all we got. It's been a pleasure. Thank Thanks, you so y'all. much for being here. Thank you. We'll be back uh next week, I believe, with another You believe? Person. I believe. <laughs> you I believe know. in we're us. never safe, so the world <laughs> might blow up. <laughs> 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 Peace.